Father, you are so good. You are so kind. And when we talk about faithfulness, you are the only one who is perfectly faithful even when we're unfaithful. So, Father, I thank you for this opportunity to be able to be together, to be able to not just be together as friends, but to be together under your word, being able to worship together as a church family. And, and Father, I'm thinking about it right now. I think it was almost exactly a year ago today that this church family again sent out another family, Ben and Jay Hartzell, to Southeast Asia. So I just want to take some time right now to pray over their family as they, they've been overseas for close to a year now, just lovingly and faithfully serving you. And I know that it hasn't been easy, so Father, I pray grace over them. I pray peace over Ben and Jay and their marriage and their parenting of, of Peyton and of Eden. And I pray for you to continually work in them so that you can work through them for the amazing good news of Jesus to continue to go beyond borders and beyond cultures. And we pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So let me share a story with you. Now, this isn't my story. I didn't come up with it. This is a story about Jesus. And it was actually written from the vantage point of three different men who were either physically with Jesus at the time or close enough to those who were to share these stories of Jesus in vivid detail. Their names are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And each of their perspectives brings out different nuances and highlights various details that enhances the story as a whole. These stories are recorded in Scripture under the passages that will be shown up on the screen in a little bit. Matthew 9, Mark 5, and Luke chapter 8. So allow me to set the scene. The public life of this man named Jesus is still quite young at this point. But word was already starting to spread like wildfire. Not long ago, there were rumors that he was in the middle of a massive storm in the Sea of Galilee, and he was able to calm the storm with simply his words. Did he have power over nature? And then there are already whispers of how he ran into that demon-filled crazy man across the sea. Everyone knew him as the cursing and screaming naked lunatic chained up in the caves. But after just one interaction with this man, Jesus, he was clothed, in his right mind, and ready to tell everyone about it. So I think people must have been wondering, who is this who even has power over evil spirits? Jesus' name and reputation started to grow in the surrounding areas. Even the whispers of those most recent events got across the sea before Jesus and his disciples got across that same sea on their boat. And that is where this story really begins. As Jesus and his friends got to the shore, Luke writes that the curious crowd swarmed so thickly around him that they could barely step foot on land before they were overtaken. Through the crowd pushed a man named Jairus. Now, Jairus was a religious leader of the local synagogue. Now, these were the people that seemed to oppose Jesus. They just butted heads with Jesus more and more these days. 
They were living, there was a fear and a jealousy of who this guy Jesus was and all these things that he was doing and who he claimed to be. The religious leaders were actually already starting to have discussions on what it would look like to maybe get rid of him out of that fear and out of that jealousy. And here was one of them pushing his way through this crowd to get to Jesus. Now you can imagine what was maybe going through the mind of Jesus' disciples at the time. Maybe a few of them were already on high alert due to the crowds, and maybe they were getting ready to pounce on this guy if he got close to their master, their teacher, their rabbi. But there's a desperation on this man's face as he ran toward Jesus. And instead of attacking, he fell at the feet of Jesus as Matthew recorded it. He then shared with Jesus how his 12-year-old daughter was extremely sick. And he was actually being told that she could die at any moment. And we don't know, she may have even died in the time that it took for him to get to Jesus. But he also told Jesus that if he would come with him, if Jesus would come with him and even just, just lay a hand on his little girl, just touch his daughter, he just knew that she would live. So he grabs Jesus, Jesus, please, please come quickly. As Jerry grabs his hand and he starts to weave Jesus through this massive crowd that's, that's just getting thicker and thicker. Meanwhile, while all of this is going on, there's a woman in the same town. Now, none of these story writers, Matthew, Mark, or Luke, actually record this woman's name. There's not a whole lot that we know about this woman other than all three of these writers within their Gospels of the life of Jesus they write down that she was a woman who had been suffering with some sort of constant bleeding issue for 12 years. Again, the writings are pretty vague about exactly what this issue was, but what we do know is that according to the Jewish law, she was declared ceremoniously unclean during the entire 12 years of her consistent bleeding. Now, I want us to stop and think about what this actually meant in that time with that culture. This meant that she was basically an outcast in her own town. She was unclean, so therefore anything or anyone she touched was also considered unclean. She couldn't go outside of her own home without her own neighbors maybe stumbling over themselves backwards to get out of her way lest they'd be touched and have to go through this rigorous and long and tedious process of making oneself clean again according to the ceremonial law. She couldn't go shopping in the market for even her own most basic needs. She wasn't able to go to the family gatherings or worship times. Just imagine this. Try in the moment to put yourself in her shoes and how that must have felt to her. She couldn't step foot in the temple or even touch anything that was deemed holy or sacred according to the Jewish religious law. Imagine not 
being able to even pick up your Bible and touch it according to the law, lest you would make that unclean. She wasn't allowed to go to birthday or other family or friend celebrations. Give her family a hug. She wasn't even at rest in her own home. She most likely, according to the studies that I've done and and according to that time, she most likely had a handmaid or a helper in her home who, who got the basic necessities for her to live on. But according to the law, her helper wouldn't even be able to touch anything that she had touched. And she definitely couldn't touch her without being deemed unclean. Now, this part isn't recorded in Scripture, but my guess is that that job was probably some sort of revolving door. <laughs> probably not a lot of people wanted were, were raising their hand to have that job. Which probably felt even that much more isolating for her. Imagine the heartache of all of this rejection within her own community. And on top of that, not even knowing the touch of another human being for over 12 years. I'm a hugger. I can't imagine that. COVID was was tough for me to not touch people. Imagine 12 years of not knowing the physical touch of another human being in any way. No one could come and give her a hug or shake her hand or touch her shoulder and just let them know, I'm with you. I'm here for you. I'm for you. I love you. Nothing for 12 years, not 12 hours, not 12 days, not 12 weeks, but 12 long years. Just try to imagine the daily heartache of her condition at this time in history and within this culture. And we haven't even touched on or mentioned the physical pain that she must have been going through this whole time. She must have felt so desperately lonely and scared and depressed. And she desperately was searching for a cure. Mark records it this way. Mark says, She had suffered a great deal from many doctors. And over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay them. But she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. Twelve years of physical pain, emotional trauma, spiritual loneliness, no money to her name and no means in the future to get any money. No conceivable way of earning it. She was desperate. And she heard Jesus was she heard Jesus was in her town. Now let's pan the lens of her mind back to Jairus, desperately leading Jesus through this crowd. And the crowd, again, seems to just getting, be getting thicker around Jesus. And suddenly, as he's pulling Jesus along, Jesus' hand slips out of his. He stopped. Why? Why? Why would Jesus stop? Doesn't he know? We have to rush to my daughter. Why would Jesus stop? This doesn't make sense. And I'm sure people must have been falling all over each other as they were trying to keep pace with Jesus, and suddenly, he puts on the brakes. And through all the commotion, all you hear, all that we see in all three of these scripture passages, 
the only thing Jesus says is, who touched me? Now, I'm sure at this point you're probably thinking what many of the crowd that heard him were thinking that day. Really? Jesus? Who, who touched me? But only one of Jesus' disciples actually had the gumption to say it out loud to the Lord of the universe. Yep, you guessed it, our boy Peter. And Luke calls him out in his gospel. Luke puts down his name. I don't know if Luke had something against Peter, but Luke says, and Peter said, Master, this whole crowd is pressing against you. It's like Peter saying, like, who touched me? Like, look around. He touched you. She touched you. He t- everybody's been touching you this whole time. And here was Jesus' response to Peter. He looks at me. He says, someone deliberately touched me, for I felt healing power go out of me. Now, let's visit this woman again, sitting in her home, alone, desperate, and in continual pain. She heard that Jesus was in town, and both Matthew and Mark record it this way, that they say that, that she thought, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. For this, she risked everything. Remember, the law in her time that declared anything and anyone she touched was made immediately unclean. Now take note of that word immediately because we're going to run across that a couple times in this story. Her belief in this Jesus being able to heal her of this physical and social crippling illness overtook her and defeated her fear of this uncleanness. She decided to brave the crowds, possibly making dozens and by proxy, maybe even hundreds unclean, just to get near Jesus. She even decided in her mind that she was willing to take the risk of even possibly making Jesus himself unclean. But because she had a belief, a faith, that was greater and more powerful than anything that could cause her to be unclean. She risked it all just to be near Jesus. In her mind, he might be able to make her unclean clean, not the other way around. So she did it. She touched him. Well, at least she touched his robe. That's what the scriptures say. And all three authors Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they record it this way. Immediately, the bleeding stopped, and she had been healed of this horrible condition. Just imagine her. Oh, yes! Twelve years! The pain is immediately gone. I cannot imagine what's going through her head at the time. She's probably overwhelmed. Doesn't know what to feel at the moment. No more pain. What does this mean? I, I can hug my family. 
I could go to the birthday parties. I could go to the temple and I can worship God. My life is changed forever because I touched him. Yes. Who touched me? Oh no. Is he mad? Did I mess up? I'm clean now. Did I give my uncleanness to him? I love this part because the opposite is true. Luke says, when the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees in front of him. And the whole crowd heard her explain why she touched him and that she had been immediately healed. But what did Jesus say? Jesus looked at this woman with compassion on his face. And in his voice, and he said, Daughter, be encouraged. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. And this is a story of Jesus, straight from the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke in Scripture. So now, together, church, let's look at some observations from this story. First, let's look at some observations about Jesus, and then we'll look at some observations about this woman. Well, before we do that, for those of you who are worried about Jairus' daughter, (laughs) she died. But... It doesn't stop there. On the way, a messenger came to Jairus and told him, don't, don't bother Jesus anymore. Your daughter has died. But Jesus still went to her. He didn't stop. He kept going. He still went to her. And he said, no, she's just sleeping. The crowds actually laughed at him. They thought, this guy's crazy. Some of them probably thought, yeah, we knew it. We knew it this whole time. None of these stories are true. He isn't who he says he is. He thinks that she's just sleeping. She's obviously dead. And Jesus walked over to her, and he laid his hands on her. And he healed her. She came alive again. But that's another story for another time. I just had to tie tie the the bow. I couldn't leave you wondering what happened to his daughter. But she's good. All right, now let's make some observations about Jesus and this woman in the story that we just heard. One of the first observations we see is Jesus sees. Jesus sees. He sees this woman. Even in the midst of all of the craziness going on around him, he chooses to see this woman. He stops and he notices her and he sees her. He was on a mission 
But Jesus wasn't about only living on this one mission. Jesus was about being the mission. In other words, Jesus wasn't so focused on the big picture that he didn't see the reality right in front of him. During his entire life on earth, Jesus was on a mission, the greatest mission of the entire history of mankind. Yet while he was on this mission, he noticed and he sees the injustice and the pain and the hurt and the sorrow that's right in front of him. He sees because he searched. Yes, in the story we see that Jesus asked, who touched me? But it's likely he already knew, but he was asking to draw her to him, to see her and to speak lovingly directly to her. I believe you all are going through a series in Genesis right now. We see in the beginning of Genesis, God does the same thing with Adam and Eve. He asks a question to draw them out. She had already been healed before he drew her out with that question. It says, as soon as she touched his robe, immediately she was healed. So for him to stop and ask that, there was a loving purpose behind his question. He wanted to see her and he wanted to know, he wanted her to know that he sees her. When I was a kid, I remember hearing the phrase, God sees everything you do all the time. Has that sentence ever freaked someone else out? I'm pretty sure it was used most of the times in my life as a tactic to like scare me into being a good boy. God's watching you. God's watching you all the time. He sees everything that you do. It just makes me think of that monster zinc, always watching. Oh, gives me chills. But as... I grew to understand who God really is and how much he truly loves me. That couldn't be further from the truth. This should actually be a comforting thought that God sees us. The amazing, loving, personal, knowing, grace-filled God sees me and cares about me? Really? Yes. He sees you, and he cares about you. Check Psalm 139, my favorite psalm in all of Scripture. He sees you. And the next thing we see in this passage is not just that Jesus sees, but Jesus knows. Jesus was not oblivious to this woman's condition. As God, Jesus knew her hardships. As a Jewish rabbi, Jesus knew the law. So he knew what she was going through. He knew her. God loves us so much, he stepped into not just human flesh, but he stepped into human culture, and he understood it. He knew, Jesus knew the circumstances that this woman had been living in within the culture that he was now a part of, and he decided to do something about it. Another observation, we see that Jesus sees, Jesus knows. Another one is Jesus loves. And you see the progression 
here. His seeing turns, turns into knowing, which turns into loving within this story that we just heard. Jesus didn't allow her to stay in her current condition. Jesus' love for her was informed by his seeing and his knowing about her. We see this all throughout Scripture in stories about Jesus, that he has compassion, especially for those in the most need of it. And he takes action and does something about it as only he can do. Jesus is pretty awesome. Can we agree on that? Jesus is amazing. He's the ultimate example of every way we should model and live our lives. Every single way. We should model it after who Jesus is and how he lived his life. We should model our entire lives around his teachings, around his life example that we find in Scripture. But I really truly believe that we'd be missing out on something if we didn't also seek to learn from this woman and her experience as well. So let's make some observations about this woman in this story. So the first observation we see is she is seen. Have you ever felt not seen? I have. Even when you're in a crowded room, have you felt lonely? Then you can relate partially to what this woman was going through. Everything was against her. Nobody could possibly know what she was going through. She was so alone. Have you felt that way? Have you thought those thoughts? Nobody. Nobody sees me. Nobody understands me. Friend, God sees you. We have a dear friend whose husband passed away a couple years ago. It's a Hindu family. And according to some Hindu customs, a horrendous thing happens, has happened historically. And I'm actually told by our friends that this is still a practice in some of the more remote villages in India and some other countries that are predominantly Hindu. When the husband dies, his body is placed in a large pile of sticks. And if he has an eldest son, the eldest son lights the sticks on fire to burn the father's body and the husband's body. Then the widow of that man either throws herself on that pile of sticks. And if she doesn't do it, the town will take her and throw her on top of her deceased husband's burning body, left to painfully die with her deceased husband because she is regarded as worthless. That's hard. When our friend lost her husband, sadly, much of her community, that being so deeply embedded within their culture, that view of, of the widow not having value or worth, much of her community actually treated her this way. Here, in our neighborhood. They didn't throw her in the cremation chamber after her husband, but many did value her life as worthless without him. And what's even harder, she believed it herself. She believed that she was worthless. She once 
told me that she wished her and their two children died along with her husband because without him, their lives are of no value. They are worthless. But that's not true. God says the opposite. And thankfully, what we've seen is the past couple years as our family has seeked to, to love her, our daughter's going over to her home and having chai with her and just sitting down and being with her, sitting in her grief and her sadness and just showing her, sometimes in their silence and just their touch, the love of Lord Jesus, how she isn't worthless, that she has value. Our boy's going over because she loves to be around children and just playing in her home because she invites them in. She's seeing that God views her and her children as infinitely full of worth. And we're continuing to pray that she sees it fully to the full extent of knowing Lord Jesus. Now this woman in the story felt invisible in her own town. Our friend felt invisible even within her own family. Maybe you feel invisible right where you are. However invisible you feel, I promise you this, you are seen by him. You are not worthless, but you are fully and wonderfully worthy because of Jesus. So we see in the story that she is seen. We also see that she is known. Have you ever felt like nobody knows what you're going through? Nobody would understand you. No one else has experienced what you've experienced, and that may be true, but not with God. God does know what you're going through, no matter what it is. Hebrews 4, one of my favorite passages, Hebrews 4.15 says that he understands our weaknesses because he faced all the same testings we do, yet without sin. So that we can come boldly to the throne of our gracious God and receive mercy and find grace to help us when we need it most. Friend, God sees you and God knows you. And the third thing that we see, it's that same progression that we see as Jesus sees Jesus knows, Jesus loves. We see that she is seen, she is known, and she is loved. Because you are seen by God and you are known by God, you are loved by God. Maybe you felt one or two of these realities. Maybe you felt seen before. Maybe you've even felt known before. But maybe you've never felt loved before. Who could love me? you met me? Do you know me? If so, there's no way you'd ever love me. Has anybody said that to God? God, how could you ever love? There's no way that you actually love me. That can't be true. I know you say it. I know it sounds good, but do you really know me? I got some junk in here, and it's nasty. I wouldn't share it with anybody if anybody knew what was deep inside me. Nobody would ever love me. And the truth is, God does know and he does see and he does love you despite all of that.
Last year, we brought two new children into our family through adoption from Bulgaria. They're now nine and 13. This past Thursday, we actually celebrated one year of them being brought home to New York. So naturally, we went out for ice cream. It's our favorite ice cream spot. If you come visit us, I'll take, I'll take you there. Just a little, another little push to come. This has been, in so many ways, a beautiful and amazing journey this past year. We've seen God's grace. We've seen so many incredible ways how he's met us, how he's grown us, how our family, how he's met our family in unique ways. And I'm saying all of this as a bit of a qualification. We do see it, but this has, to be just open and honest with my family here, this has been the hardest year of our family's lives in so many ways as well. Hard, but worth it but hard. Adding two new human beings into a family, different culture, different language, past traumas coming out on both sides. Three teenage daughters. (laughs) Pray for me if you don't know how else to pray for us. Pray for us in that. And then I'm going to have four teenage sons soon after and pray for our grocery budget. (laughs) So I asked my wife and my daughter if I could share this story, and they both said yes. After our daughter had been home for a couple months, one day we ran into a hard situation. Without sharing all of the gory details, we found ourselves in the middle of a moment where our daughter was screaming at us that she hated us. We weren't her real parents, amongst other obscenities. And in that moment, with tears streaming down her face, Monica gently took our daughter's face in her hands and told her, from the day we first saw the picture of you and your brother. We chose you. Even before that, before you were born, we were praying for you to be part of this family. We chose you. If the day that we saw you and your brother for the first time, if we could have looked into the future and seen this moment right here and right now, we would have said yes. We chose you. And right now, we choose you. Not because our love for you is based on your condition or how you treat us or how we treat you, but because our love for you is based on Jesus' love for us. Family, this was a hard moment. But this was also a beautiful breakthrough in our relationship. And this is just such a small glimpse, an imperfect picture of how God deeply and truly loves you. He wants to put your face in his hands and he wants to say, my son, my daughter, I love you. And it's not based on how you act. 
It's not based on your good or your bad. It's based on my unconditional love. Live in that. Sit in that. I love you. So I don't know who needs to hear this. Actually, I do, because we all need this. (laughs) Jesus sees you, he knows you, and he loves you. And you are seen, you are known, and you are loved. But there's a bridge between this woman's current circumstances and her new identity. And that bridge was faith. This is exactly what Jesus actually commended about her when he spoke. He said, your faith has made you clean. This woman was living in a hard situation, but when she heard that Jesus was in town, she did something about it. She allowed faith to step in to bring her to Jesus in order to be seen and known and loved. And no, it wasn't that she just mustered up enough faith out of nothing. Her faith was informed. Her faith was in someone who was real and who was doing amazing things during her life. Life-changing things. It was her faith that drew her out into this crowd to risk everything just to touch the object of her faith, Lord Jesus Christ. Now this needs to be said. Jesus is not a genie. Jesus is not a magician who just grants our wishes or magically does whatever we expect him to do. So we can't assume from this story that, oh, I touch Jesus or I go to Jesus and my problems will be gone. My financial woes are gone. My physical health is perfect. We, God can do those things. Yes, amen. But we can't assume that, oh, just because I, I go to Jesus, then he's going to magically do what I want him to do. But here's the truth. He is a God who desperately loves you and cares deeply for you and whatever situation you find yourself in. And he wants to lovingly speak into that if you give him the chance. So what does that look like for you right now? Maybe this idea of being seen and known and loved really resonates with you. and gives you a glimmer of hope in your darkness. But it's the faith part that freaks you out. So here's my encouragement. Don't focus on how to conjure or muster up faith. Look at Jesus. Read about Jesus. Ask others about their relationship and their experiences with Jesus. See how loving he is. See how powerful he is. See how wise he is. How compassionate. How peaceful. How amazing. When you do that, he'll draw you to him. You can't help it. When you truly see Jesus for who he really is, faith in him is a natural next step. Go towards him in that faith, in whatever circumstance you find yourself in. He desires for you to feel seen, to feel known, and to feel loved by him. And he longs to say to you what he said to this woman. Daughter, son, my child, be encouraged your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Father, thank you. Thank you for seeing us and not just stopping there. For knowing us and not just stopping there, but for loving us despite who we are. You love us. 
Thank you for caring for us in so many amazing, incredible ways. And Holy Spirit, I ask every time we come to your word, every time we experience a story of Jesus and to see his example, you want to do something in us. You don't ever want us to walk away the same as we came to you through your word. So, Father, I ask right now, through your Holy Spirit, will you accomplish the work that you are desiring to accomplish in our hearts in this moment through this amazing story of Lord Jesus. And help us to step into it in faith and to see the amazing things that you have for us. And it's in Jesus' incredible and loving and compassionate and powerful name we pray this.